right, if you have your Bibles with you today, I hope you do, I'll ask you to open them up to the book of uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to do a quick pivot from the series that we've been in called Pursuit of Happiness and go in a little bit of a different direction today as we celebrate um, the moms here, the spiritual mothers, um, the mentors, the coaches, those who speak life into others. Uh, we're going to do a quick pivot. Next week, we'll get back into the Beatitudes um, and then to that series. But I'll invite you to open your Bibles to the book of uh, Philippians chapter 4. Just a couple of weeks ago, this online community called Motherly, which is a group of um, moms from throughout the United States um, and other parts of the world, they released their 2023 uh, motherhood report. I have a kind of picture here that that uh, speaks to it. It's the state of motherhood. This is the latest kind of, of a group of research that this organization does. Um, this organization supports mom. This is not a Christian organization. This is a secular organization, but it has a very large footprint on a, as an online community. Uh, and motherly, they spoke with thousands of moms over the last year to kind of get the pulse and the quick temperature check of where people were at um, when it came to how moms are feeling. And this was one of those reports that when you read it, for some people, it may have surprised you what it said, but for many others, it kind of confirmed what you already knew, right? And there was a couple of things that kind of stood out to me. One was this next picture here um, that shows that the majority of moms, 62%, report getting less than an hour to themselves each day. That's uh, kind of concerning, right? Two-thirds of moms feel like they can't even get an hour uh, a day to themselves to kind of detach, to decompress, to kind of relax. Uh, they give some additional research over there um, on, on their side. Um, and when they ask moms, what is it that you would like the most? 55% said, hey, how about a nap, right? Uh, that, that would be a good place to start with watching a TV show without being uh, interrupted someone into exercise. Um, so, so moms need times, right? Mom need, uh, how many moms could agree, right? That you would love some time maybe to yourself uh, just to get some things done. Maybe just like take a nap, right? And as I continued reading, there was one stat that kind of really uh, I felt was surprising for me. This one, not so much because um, in a house with four children, I just see day after day, year after year, how hard moms work and how much they give of themselves. Um, just running the home, just being present for their kids. So this wasn't extremely surprising, but the next one was a little bit surprising for me. If we could go over the next picture, it says that 46% um, of mothers right now, I want you to think of this, this is almost half, almost half. If we round that up, it would be 50%. 50% uh, of moms right now are seeking therapy. Um, that was a statistic that wasn't entirely surprising, but still kind of hit me a little bit. Uh, it says here that mental health is a mom's biggest worry. And what is it that causes that mental health? There's lots of different reasons here um, for why moms are maybe struggling with mental health. Um, this led me to kind of go on a deeper search for some research about moms and the ideas of mental health. And what I found from 2020 from Forbes magazine, it showed that the pandemic uh, increased the amount of anxiety, stress, and depression in new moms and not new moms 300%, a 300% increase. 
Over one million working moms have left the workforce in the last three years, with many moms admitting that there is a childcare crisis in this country. The cost and the burden of raising children while working has become too much that a hundred, uh, not a hundred, but a million moms have left the workforce. The ripple effects that have been researched about when there's mental health challenges in the home and how it passes on to children. The American Academy of Pediatrics in 2021 declared a national emergency for youth and adolescent mental health. The amounts of young people experiencing mental health challenges are also increasing. The Mayo Clinic points to the adverse physical effects of mental health challenges related to stress, anxiety, and depression. Those links are high blood pressure, digestive issues, reproductive issues, circulatory issues, heart issues, hormonal issues, and other mental health challenges. The Mayo Health Clinic also reported that there's, they've seen the highest jump in mental health hospitalizations um, from the year 2020 to the year 2022 that had been ever recorded in the history of medical record keeping. So I want you to consider that. There is a real, real challenge going on in people's homes. Why am I mentioning this today? Here's the first thing that I want to say. If you're here this morning and you struggle with fear, you struggle with anxiety or worry or depression or mental health challenges, I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. None of those things are sin. Did you hear me? Challenging moments with anxiety, with fear, with depression, with stress, does not make you any less of a follower of Christ than a person who doesn't struggle with those things. Did you hear me this morning? Dealing with mental health challenges like fear, anxiety, worry, um, doesn't make you crazy. Did you hear me this morning? If anything, dealing with the challenges of fear, anxiety, worry, and mental health doesn't make you a sinner, doesn't make you less of a follower in Christ, doesn't make you crazy. What it does do is it makes you human. It makes you human. Did you hear me this morning? Why am I inviting you to listen for the next, oh, 25, 30 minutes? I am inviting you to listen, not only mothers, this is what drew my heart to this word today, but this is not only for moms because we need to listen today because everyone deals with stress. Everyone deals with some level of anxiety or fear. When you think about your job, when you think about your finances, when you think about your children, when you think about your home, when you think about your family, uh, we all deal with stress, we all deal with anxiety, we all deal with fear, amen? Why should you listen this morning? Well, because God knew you would. And because he gives hope and encouragement through his word. God gives the gift of peace. And I want you to hear me well this morning that it's not God's will for you to live a life crippled, bound, frozen by fear, anxiety, worry, and depression. Did you hear me this morning? Anxiety, stress, 
worry, fear, they drain, they demotivate, they destroy. God has not come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus says he has come to give you life and life more abundantly. And here's the choice that we all have. We can all live through this. We can all try to power through it. We could all try to tough it out. We could seek therapy. And listen, if you're seeking therapy for, for depression or for fear and anxiety and worry, God bless you in your courage for seeking that out. And by all means, continue with that, please. But some will say, I could tough it out. I could deal with it. Why should you listen this morning? I also want to make it clear that listening this morning might not solve totally your challenges. But listening this morning will give you clear, biblical, practical wisdom for lessening the grip that maybe anxiety, fear, and worry have on your life. And that's why I'm inviting you to listen this morning. So in the book of Philippians, here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's instructing them. He's giving them some final instructions, and, and he gives some of the most profound words that we see in Scripture that deal with stress, worry, anxiety, and fear. This is what Paul writes beginning here in verse number 6. Paul writes this. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. What Paul is doing here is he's explaining a process. He's explaining the steps that God has given us of how we are to deal with fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. This principle is laden with power. Now, when you marry the principle, which are the actions, with the power that guarantee the principle, it always leads to a promise. It's just the biblical way of doing things. There's principles, there's power, and the re they result in a promise from God. What is the promise from God? This contains the principles. This tells us where the power is. Now, what is the promise? Verse 7. Then, key word there, then, it's a conditional phrase. It's saying, if we do what is written before the then, if you practice the principle and understand the power of what's written before the then, then this condition will happen. And this is the promise. What's God's promise? Then you will experience God's peace. God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is so rich. Verse 8. And now, and now, now that you've experienced this peace, now we're going back to a principle. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. One final principle. Paul says, Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
Prayer, I believe, is an underutilized tool in the fight against anxiety and stress. It works because uh, we believe that when we pray, we're just not offering words up into the atmosphere. Words are not just going up into the sky. But we believe that when we pray, the God of the universe is listening, and he inclines his ears to hear the prayers of his people. When it's done in the correct posture of the heart, God listens and God moves. Then we experience the peace of God. But prayer, when done incorrectly, elevates the problems. Prayer, when it's done incorrectly, becomes more a complaint list. These kids, man. My boss. This car again. That pipe is leaking again in the basement. This grass just grows too fast. The tax bill came. What is up with my daughter's boyfriend? Prayer can easily become a complaint list. We can easily get sucked into the trap of elevating the obstacles, elevating the challenges, and not totally surrendering and submitting to God. When we pray in a way of complaining, it actually elevates our stress. Because we're reminded of everything that's going on. So this morning, what I want to do is share with you a couple of stress-reducing habits straight from God's Word. Straight from God's Word. And unpack those in, in, in a way that hopefully makes sense to you. In a way that's just super practical so that when you leave here, you can say, man, when I'm dealing with fear and anxiety and worry, uh, I have some tools here uh, of how to combat that. Okay? And again, this applies to every single person here. So the first stress-reducing habit that I want to share with you is to flow in the language of prayer in times of stress. Flow in the language of prayer in times of stress. That means when you're feeling stress coming on, when you're feeling anxiety or, or, or worry, and, and you feel like, man, I'm being triggered, and you're beginning to kind of fall off the, the rails a little bit, uh, language matters. The words that you speak matters. Therapists will tell you this, the importance of of self-talk, you know, uh, my wife would call it faith talk, and, and, and words in this moment matter, and, and the words that should come out of your mouth in moments of stress should be the language of prayer. What is the language of prayer? Let me get into that in a second, but I want to remind you what verse 6 says. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. So, so you're removing worry, and in its place, you're inserting prayer. Okay, so you're removing worry, and you're inserting prayer. So what is this language uh, of, of prayer? We all have ways that we deal with stress, okay? We all have ways that we deal with stress. This is God's way, okay? This is God's way. But I'm just going to tell you up front, this way is, is impossible if you try to do it in your own strength. If you try to do it in your own human strength, and your own human ability, uh, it's impossible. You need God. That's why the prayer comes in. That's where the power is. Uh, one thing I want to be clear is Paul's not saying don't feel fear. It's impossible not to feel fear. You're human. You're going to feel fear. You should not feel bad when you feel fear. But Paul is giving us the steps of what do we do when we feel fear. When Paul says, don't worry about anything, he's not minimizing what you're going through. 
He's not minimizing the challenges that are before you. He's not minimizing the problem. What he's doing is he's elevating the solution. Who's God? So let me share with you three components of the language of prayer. We're talking about the language of prayer. The first one is this. Pray. Actually do it. Okay? When Paul says don't worry about anything but pray about everything, you actually have to get around to praying. What are some obstacles to praying? I've heard a lot of people tell me I can't pray because I don't know how. And I've heard some people not pray because they have something else that they go to in moments of worry and fear. Let's talk about this. For the people who say, I don't know how to pray, they usually tell me something like this. You know, I'm self-conscious. I don't know all those fancy Bible words, and I don't know how to pray, so I don't pray. Let me clarify something today. You don't need fancy words. You don't need a Bible degree. You don't even need to have read the Bible. It's good to know what the Bible says, so that way you can pray the scriptures. But prayer is a conversation with God. It's not scripted. It's best when it's authentic, when it's your whole self coming before him just as you are, telling him what's on your heart and what's on your mind. Here's some basics of prayer. When you pray, pray in Jesus' name. Because Jesus gives you access to the Father. So when you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, Jesus, when I pray, uh, let God the Father hear my prayer so that way you can move on my behalf. So one basic thing of prayer, when you pray, pray in Jesus' name. Hey, if you don't know the words to pray, can you say the word Jesus? You can, can we practice that together this morning? Everybody just say, Jesus. You just prayed. You just prayed. Calling on his name is you inviting him, magnifying him, exalting him. Now, 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 as you grow in prayer, you will learn more principles of prayer. But at the very beginning, if you are a person who says, I don't know how to pray, pray the name of Jesus. Another basic of prayer, uh, invite the Spirit to help you. You see, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers you during moments of stress, worry, and anxiety to overcome. You can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. You need the Spirit's help. So pray in Jesus' name and ask the Spirit to help you. The second obstacle that people have is when stress, worry, and anxiety come, they don't pray. They don't go to God. They go to something else. Some of you go to your best friend. You'll call them and you'll say, you'll never believe what happened to me or what I'm feeling. Some of you go to your parents or to, to, to a brother or to a sister. Some of you go to a boyfriend or a spouse. Some of you talk to your dog. Some people run to the refrigerator. You go somewhere else. What Paul is saying here is when worry is coming into your heart, where should you go? You should go to God. So the first language of prayer is to actually pray and to do it. The second thing that Paul tells us is he says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, and tell God what you need. The second part of the language of prayer is petition. Asking God, God, I need this right now. Some of us, when we pray, we don't petition, we don't tell God what we want, and there's usually two reasons for this as well. One is that you have a small view of who God is, and, and one, you're just a self-reliant person. You have your own solutions, so you don't ask God what you need for it, right? The first one is some people have a small viewpoint of God, like this problem is beyond God's pay grade. 
Uh, some people have a viewpoint that they think God is so big. Why would God care about me and my toothache? So I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to ask God about my toothache to help me, you know, heal and get comfort from my toothache. Because I think God has bigger things on his agenda, you know, like war and plagues and world hunger and things like that. So some people have this, this very peculiar but very uh, inaccurate view of God, like he doesn't care, like he's too distant, like he's too far off. So what do we do? We don't petition. We don't come to him with what we need. Some of you think that God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. I'm just me. No one important. Listen, when we come to the Lord by petitioning him, telling him exactly what we need, what we're doing is we're acknowledging that, God, you are bigger than the problem that I'm facing right now. And that is the right heart posture to be in. When my kids were younger, I'm talking when they were just knee high. They used to come. And I forget which one it was, but some of them would say, Dad, can you give me a million dollars? Now, as an adult, we become more jaded. We look at that request and we're like, million dollars, man, I don't even have five dollars to give you. Right? But the childlike faith that that child expresses to say, my parent is so big. My parent has so much ability. My parent has so much power. In their mind, they believe that they could be, uh, get a million dollars from their parent. So they ask for that, right? You see, sometimes we treat God like a chump and we say, you know, you're not big enough to, to deal with this problem. I'm big enough. I'm self-reliant. I'll handle it on my own. So I'm not going to petition to you. Oh, I'm going to complain to God. I'm not going to petition and ask exactly what I need. But to have the childlike faith and understanding that your God is so big, your God is so strong, your God is so able that you can ask him for the impossible things, that is the attitude that God wants you to come to him with. He wants you to see him like that, like a child sees their parent, like my dad can fix anything. Because he's that strong. Do we do that? Do we do that? You see, when we do that, we admit that we're desperate for him, that we need him. This goes back to what we've been talking about being poor in spirit, right? When you admit your desperate need for God, what you're saying is, I have nothing to offer you, God. You alone are the source for everything I need, so I will come to you. The poor will inherit the earth. The last thing that Paul tells us, he says, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need. With what? Thanksgiving. The last part there is giving thanks. Giving thanks aligns your heart. It puts you in a place where you overcome the obstacles of self-pity and pessimism. These are the obstacles of Thanksgiving. We are to wrap our prayer into Thanksgiving. You see, when you wrap your prayer in Thanksgiving, what you're doing is you're seeing what's right with God instead of focusing about what's wrong in your life. Did you hear that? It's a shift. It's bringing your heart into alignment to where now you could receive the promise of the gift of peace from God. Alignment matters, doesn't it? If any of you are car mechanics here or car people, you understand just how important alignment is. When your car is not in alignment, oh, it's terrible. 
You're constantly wrestling. You're working two, three times as hard to just get from point A to point B. Why? Because things are not in alignment. Things are not going as they should be. About 20 years ago, my wife was a student at DePaul University. She was driving my sister's Saturn car. She hit something in the street, and it knocked the alignment totally out of her car. She called me. I had to go up to the north side on Fullerton in Halstead to drive the little white Saturn car all the way down to the south side. And when I got into the car, I had to turn that steering wheel almost a whole turn just to keep the wheels straight. And I was going about 10 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour with my hazard lights on. And the whole ride, it was about an hour and 45 minutes to get from the north side to the south side with a car with no alignment going 10 miles an hour. And the whole ride, that steering wheel was fighting me was fighting me. It kept pushing. It kept trying to turn. And I kept trying to fight back. And just to go maybe a mile was a lot of work. I was working extremely hard. My arms was getting tired. I was frustrated. It took me longer. This was a horrible trip. Why? Because things were out of alignment. You see, when we become people who don't have thanksgiving towards God, your heart is out of alignment. And you know what? It's easy to be out of alignment. Sometimes life hits you with things, doesn't it? Life hits you with disappointment. Life, life hits you with, with, um, with disasters. Life hits you with, with, with danger. Life hits you with stress. Life hits you with fear and anxiety. And when those things hit you, it's easy to come out of alignment. And when you're out of alignment with God, you know what you're going to be doing with him? You're going to be finding yourself exhausted and tired just trying to keep things straight. The ride from point A to point B is going to be so much harder when you're out of alignment. You're going to be frustrated when your life is out of alignment. And what Paul is saying is when we pray, we pray by petitioning God. We pray by going to him and we do it with thanksgiving. Because what thanksgiving does is it aligns you with God. And when you're aligned with God, it's so much easier for you to receive his blessing. It's so much easier for you to receive this promise. Thanksgiving is a fruit of the spirit. When you have thanksgiving towards God, you don't wallow in self-pity. You don't become the victim. Why? Because you acknowledge God for him being bigger. You avoid pessimism. You avoid negativity. Why? Because you're giving thanks to God. So there's two ways to pray. You tell me which way you typically pray. Okay? Here's the first prayer. That is not really a prayer. It's a complaint. You're not really petitioning God. You're complaining. Um, and you're not thanking God because you're kind of wallowing in your self-pity. So here's what this prayer would sound like. It usually goes something like this. It would say, God, these kids are driving me crazy. I feel like I get no help around this house. The dishes are always stacked in the sink. The clothes never gets folded. The mail never gets brought in. And God, my boss at work, can't stand it. I show up on time. Put it in out of day's pay, but yet some bum who shows up late and cheats on his time card gets the promotion. And God, honestly, my finances, terrible. Terrible. I can't budget right. I can't get out of debt. I'm becoming overwhelmed. I'm becoming stressed. I can't give at church. And honestly, God, I feel bad. My back hurts. My knee hurts. I'm falling apart. I can't work out like I want to. 
I've had a membership at the gym for two years, and I've gone twice. So help me, God. That's not prayer. That's a complaining vent session. Now let's flip that script a little bit to where that prayer could become a prayer, where that is prayer, where there is petition, and when there's thanksgiving. God, I'm having a tough time with this house. Yes, the dishes are always in the sink. No, the clothes never gets folded. But Lord, I thank you that you've provided me a home. I thank you, God, that you blessed me with a roof, that I'm not living in the streets. Thank you, God, that you look out for me, that I have a door to stick a key in and to open and to walk through on a daily basis. So, God, I'm going to ask to give me wisdom so that that way I could talk to my family so that they could help me more around this place. And, God, at work, I know it's not going good right now. But, Lord, you give me the promotion. You see my hard work. You vindicate me. You bless me. And honestly, Lord, I don't work for my boss. I work for you. Because everything I do, I do it as unto you, Lord. So if my bosses don't see it, you see it, Lord. So bless me. And thank you for this job. Because even though my bills stink right now, at least I have food on my table. At least I could get the basics done. And Lord, give me wisdom to budget better. Give me wisdom in how to cancel the gym membership if I'm not using it, Lord. And God, would you just move in my body? God, thank you that I'm able to go to work. God, thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that you woke me up today. Thank you that today is a new opportunity to experience your mercy, your grace, your peace, your blessing in my life, God. And I just want to thank you for who you are, even though everything around me is a mess. That's prayer. Now, which one is you? Which one is you? Which one is your typical prayer? You see, in times of worry, anxiety, and fear, many of us elevate the issues, elevate the problems, elevate the causes of our stress, and we don't really see God in the midst of any of it. But when you pray, when you petition, and when you think, man, you put God above those things. So number one, let the language of prayer flow in times of stress. Number two, number two is to fix your thoughts. Determine to fix your thoughts. Determine that you're going to um, fix your thoughts on God. Paul says that when we don't worry about anything, when you pray about everything with thanksgiving and you tell God what you need, then you will experience that peace, right? Then you experience the peace of God, which, by the way, makes no sense to us at all. The peace of God makes no human sense. You cannot create the peace of God in your life. You cannot purchase the peace of God in your life. The peace of God is only experiencing by drawing close to God, being in relationship with Him, knowing Him intimately and closely so He could give you that gift of peace. You can't get it from far. You need to get it when you're close from Him. It's not man's peace. Man's peace is temporary. Man's peace is fickle. Man's peace is a gimmick, okay? I'm all for breathing. I'm all for meditation. But those things won't bring you long-lasting peace. God will. The peace of God, the peace of God exceeds anything that we can think about as humans. Okay? Uh, try breathing and try meditating when you're stuck in I-55 tra- traffic in the morning. It'll only take you so far. 
the first person who honks at you or gives you the bird will flip you right off of your breathing and meditation. Because it's not long-lasting. You see, what the peace of God promises to do for us is it promises to guard your hearts and to guard your minds. I have this great picture. We could just go back to the picture real quick. Uh, the heart and the mind, these are the frontline battles of fear, anxiety, and worry. This is where the enemy always comes and drills you when it comes to fear, anxiety, worry, and depression. He'll either hit you in your heart or he'll hit you in your mind. Your mind is the center of your thoughts your heart is the center of your emotions and he'll hit you in one of these two places and you could try to be like this person here who's trying to hold it together you know you're just trying to hold your thoughts together you're trying to hold your heart together you're just trying your best to hold it together but what's happening to this person they're literally tearing him apart because this person is trying to do this in their own strength in their own power and listen you can't do it this way you can't do it this way. These two things will tear you apart because this is the enemy's playground. This is how he comes after you. And you need to understand this. So what is it that guards both your heart and your mind? The peace of God. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. That, that word there that Paul is using is a military word to kind of show that the peace of God is not passive. The peace of God is active. It's fighting. It's creating a perimeter around your heart, around your mind, so that way uh, the, the, the triggers and the things that, that stimulate you to feel fear, to feel anxiety and depression can't come in. The peace of God is out warring for you. Isn't that amazing? That the peace of God is waging war against the enemy for you to do what? To guard your heart and to guard your mind. So stop trying to fight the battle on your own. Stop trying to fight the battle on your own. Think about a panic attack, right? When you get into a panic attack, usually something triggers you. Your mind, your mind starts racing. Stress begins to kick in. Now it's a flood. Now you've lost control. Now you begin to spiral as you think about the worst case scenarios. And the next thing you know, you're gripped by fear and anxiety because it's invaded your soul. Why? Because there's no perimeter. There's no protection. So the enemy is allowed to come right over into your thoughts, into your emotions, and to grip you in the throes of a panic attack. How many of you have experienced that, right? I have a picture of a person whose mind just goes in a, a million different directions. This is panic. What's guarding you? What's protecting you? Once you're in the throes of a panic attack, now your body begins that full-on breakdown mode, right? You can't breathe. Your heart is jumping out of your chest. Before you know it, you've lost all control. How does the enemy hit you with panic? He hits you in your heart. And he hits you in your head. But Paul is saying the peace of God will guard your heart and your head. I love this quote from Mark Twain here famous author. He says, I've lived through some terrible things in my life, some of which have actually happened. I love that quote. You see, when, you're, when you don't have this perimeter around your thoughts and around your heart, you could create some pretty uh, terrible things in your life. They're not real. They're self-created. The peace of God protects you 
these things. So the last part, let's finish this up. The second big stress-reducing habit is to fix your thoughts on God. Determine to fix your thoughts on God. Verse 8 says, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That word there, fix, means to be like a fixture, to be constant. Now that's difficult. It's difficult for you to have a constant mindset where fear and anxiety and worry never enter in. Uh, We're human. We get triggered. We see things. Uh, Things hit us. Things cause us to feel certain ways. But what he's saying here is is when you're being hit with, with the trigger, fix it. Fix your thoughts. If your mind is drifting off into some place of catastrophe and dread, hey, fix it. Fix it on what? Fix it on what's true. Fix it on what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Listen, you can't control what comes into your mind. You can't. It's like a television. When you're watching a television show, you don't control what commercials come out. You don't. When you're going about your life, you can't control what triggers enter into your view, what triggers enter into your soul, what triggers enter into your mind. You don't have control of that. But you do have some control. If a commercial comes on the television and you don't like that commercial, you have this great device called what? A remote control. And the second that commercial comes on, if you don't like that commercial, what do you have the power to do? You have the power to flip out of that commercial, right? You have full power and full authority to say, I don't like this commercial. This commercial doesn't interest me. This commercial isn't helpful to me. So when this commercial comes on, I have the power to remove that commercial from my life. Don't you? What Paul is saying is that when you are in the midst of a panic attack or a trigger, someone comes in and begins to trigger you and you're beginning to feel the anxiety or the stress build in your life, you have the power to control that and to flip out of it and to fix your thoughts, not into something bad, but into something that's good, something that's lovely, something that's pure, something that's admirable, something that's praiseworthy. You have the control. Listen, part of this message today is to say to you that if you're dealing with fear, anxiety, worry, or depression, you are not powerless. You are not in full power either. God is not you, but you do have power to switch out of that and to say, no, I need to stop thinking like this. No, this is not real what I'm feeling. God, you are in control. So let me fix my thoughts. Listen, all of us in some way have a thought life that is broken. All of us deal with broken thoughts. What Paul is saying is when you're dealing with broken thoughts, fix them. And the way you fix them is to take the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have an internal remote, but you have the power of the Holy Spirit that is received through prayer, through petition, and through thanksgiving. That is the power that gives you the ability to, when you're feeling the stress, when you're feeling the anxiety, when you're feeling the fear, to say, no, I will fix my thoughts. Fix my thoughts.
Church, you're not powerless. Some of you think I have no power over this anxiety or fear or stress that I'm feeling. You can't control when the attacks come. You can't control how long you stay there. What comes from God? Fear does not come from God. Timothy tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and what? Self-control. Self-control. Where does that power come from? From the presence of God in your life. What comes from God? It's not worry. It's not anxiety. It's not fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And when we go to him through thanksgiving, through prayer, and through petition, we experience the power that enables us to fix our thoughts. And when we do that, we could live what Isaiah 26 tells us. Look at this promise. It says, you will keep, God will keep in what? perfect peace. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him and all whose what thoughts are fixed on him. Perfect peace in the presence of God. You're fixing your thoughts on him. Can we stand together?